following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. for me to be here with you today um, when uh, JB communicated with me about the opportunity to come and um, be able to bring you a message. Um, I was pretty excited about that because I have some uh, relationships here at the church um, over the years with students that have come to Ozark Christian College. Um, I have been a professor there for 20 years and recently retired to be a full-time minister at Christ Church of Ornogo. Hold on a second here. Let's try this. Is this better? I won't touch anything. I'll stand like this. I don't know why it's clicking in and out. All right. Um, I'm a minister at Christ Church of Ornogo. You can save me anytime if you need to. Um, And uh, I'm now in an executive capacity there. And I'm also an elder at the church. Our church runs right around 3,000 people. Um, So um, I've been asked to talk with you today about spiritual leadership, which is one of my favorite topics. And uh, what I want to do is just give you kind of the highlights of some of the things that are the most important about our leadership, which apply to all of us, not only to your elders and your ministers who are gone, but also to us as we are seeking to be lights in the world around us. So um, let's pray and ask for the Lord to really bless this time and also ask him to give you a vision about how you can interact with people along the lines that we're going to be talking about today. There are so many people in the world who don't have a direction in life. They are lost. They don't have any sense of purpose or peace. And what we provide as the light of Christ, as the word of God incarnate, as we put that into our lives, is an opportunity for people to see God and be able to follow him better. And I want to talk to you about ways in which you can do that today, as well as ways in which your ministers and elders do that. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time today. Lord, excuse me, Lord, while we make this so it sounds better. All right, let's try that. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we have. And I pray that you will guide and bless and direct us through your word that you will help us to really catch a vision about what does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to have leadership in our lives? What does it mean to be people after your own heart? Help for us, Lord, as we consider ways to do that that would be meaningful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you think about leadership, you often think about the way that people get things done. You can snap it in there. Excuse us. All right, we'll try that. I've been snapped in the back. I'm so glad that I'm here among people that I like. I told them that they're my favorite people because if something goes wrong, it's always their fault. But, you know, right here, it's probably my fault that I put it in the wrong spot. So I'm so grateful for them. When you think about leadership... You think about productivity, right? You think about getting stuff done. You think about like charging ahead and getting people to follow you. But when we look at spiritual leadership, it's, it's a little bit different than that. 
It's not just about getting something done. It's not just about moving in a direction. It's really about focusing in on a relationship and on the character that we're supposed to have. So as we get started today, I want to give you the great big picture as we look at this from Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus, or, uh, God said this through Jeremiah. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And I want to talk to you about being shepherds after God's own heart. That you and I, as we are leading, as we're leading our children, as we're leading people in our community, as our elders are leading us, as our ministers are leading us, they need to lead us after God's own heart. Not just getting something done, not just having a vision, but doing that in a certain way so that we can all move in the same direction, but that God will be clearly seen within our lives. So in Psalm 103, we have a summary of what God's heart is, starting in verse 8. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as has he removed his transgressions from us. When I think about this, I'm thinking about how God is trying to make us to be just like him. So I want you to think about one of your favorite people in the whole world. Somebody who you really admire, somebody who you really like. If that person happens to be a leader, that's great. If not, I want you to think about the qualities and the characteristics of that person. The people that I think about are the people that I know are for my well-being. They're interested in me. They hear my story. They're interested in helping me be a better person. They'll move me in the right direction. They'll actually take me in a direction that I'm struggling to go in. So we might think about our parents. We might think about our coaches. We might think about a teacher. You might think about a best friend. You may even think about a spouse who's trying to help you to move in a direction that is hard for us to go in. And when these people are compassionate... And they are gracious, they are merciful, they are patient with us, and they have a great love for us. We can feel a little bit more safe while we're trying to grow and change. So the first thing that I want for you to think about when we're looking at being leaders after God's own heart is safety. Can you be safe around your leaders? Can people be safe around you? So it's time to meddle. What do you give off when you're around people? And one of the things that I want to talk to you about, a first application point, is setting your mind in the morning. Set your mind in the morning to say, Lord, I want to be the kind of person today that allows people to feel safe with me. That they might talk to me and I wouldn't retaliate. That they might say something to me and I would give them another chance to say it better. That I would allow for them to maybe not be perfect, but allow for them to learn how to do things a little bit better. That I would lead them in such a way that they would want to come back for a conversation again. Now, if you're a guy in here, how many times do you like to remind people to do things? Once. If you don't read our minds, right? Just once. If you're a lady, how many times do you like to do it? Well, until you get mad that they don't do it. Because ladies have a much greater opportunity to be patient than what guys do. But guys, we'll, we'll do it one or two times. How many times do you suppose that God has reminded you to be the person that he wants you to be? Oops, did I just step on some toes? How many times have you heard the same passage over and over again, and you're like, God, I'm still not there yet, and he goes, get out, get out of here. 
you haven't done the right thing. Go sit in that corner, sit in time out, don't look at me. We, we, God does not treat us that way. God looks at us and he goes, I know this is hard for you. I know this is difficult for you, but I want you to keep moving in the right direction. Brothers and sisters, that is this heart of God, this compassionate movement heart of God that works with us to help us to grow. So gentlemen, we need to be more patient. And ladies, you might need to be a little more directive a little bit earlier if we are stereotypically the kind of men and women that generally act that way. And then he, he goes on and he talks about this. this. This was one of the most important things out of this passage. He does not treat us the way that our sins deserve. Oh my goodness, wouldn't it be great if we lived in that world? Where we're not treated according to our worst moments? Where we're not treated according to somebody being real, really angry with us? This one speaks to me because I have what's, what I call a justice gene. I don't know if you have this or not. But if somebody does something the wrong way, I want to fix that. I want it to be the right way. I want it to move forward in some really good potential way so that people can actually grow. But, but here what this is saying is, Peter, don't treat them the way that you would normally treat them. Treat them better than that. Treat them with the kind of kindness and the kind of conversation and the kind of movement that you really want to. So, gentlemen, let me talk to you a little bit about leading at home for just a moment because I love to meddle just a hair. You walk home. You've got wives and kids at home. You look at the front door and you say, I got to go in there. I'm coming home. I got to go in there. I'm not ready to go in there because my mind is working on something else. Do you know that the skills that you have at work do not translate to being an excellent husband? Because writing up plans of correction and bossing people around does not work in our own families. And so when you're looking at that door and you're looking at going in, you have to say, Lord, you have to help me make that transition to be the right kind of leader to walk into this family. And when you walk into that family, you make a beeline to the people who are most important to you. And you go up to them and you say, I'm home. And when I started doing this and I would pray and I'd say, Lord, I have to go in my house. And I'm not really ready for that because I know that my house is busy and my wife wants to talk to me when the door opens up and I've got kids and they would want to visit with me and I want to pet the dog on that on the top of her head, and, and all I want to do is have some peace and quiet because I've had a long day. God is there in that moment so that you would treat people better than you would normally treat them, that you would be able to treat them with compassion, you'd be able to treat them with mercy, you'd be able to treat them in ways that really make it safe for you to walk in that house. And so I would go up to my wife and I'd give her a big hug and I'd say, how are you? And she would say, fine. And I would say, do you want to talk to me about your day? And sometimes she would say yes and sometimes she would say no. And when she would say yes, I would just say, tell me more. Just tell me more about your day. When she'd get all the way done, I would just give her a big hug. And I would not solve her problems for her, gentlemen. She does not want me to say anything about her day other than how much I love her and care about her. And I would marry her again in a heartbeat. She does not want me to fix her problems for her because she'll fix them if she wants them fixed. And sometimes she doesn't. Because the world is a hard place. And all she wants is somebody who's interested in her. And I'm misreading it. She wants somebody who's interested in her. Do you know that in many ways, leadership is like allowing for us to learn how we can show people we're interested in them. I've learned a lot about leadership by really trying to understand who my wife is. Treat her better than what she deserves to be treated. Treat her with patience and kindness and mercy and justice and allow for yourself to be safe. Ladies, when your man comes in, pray for him because this is a hard transition. Pray before he walks in the door because sometimes it's hard for him to come in and sometimes it's hard to receive him. And just say, Lord, would you please make this a really good moment for us to reconnect? He needs your help. 
And ladies, if you're working, you might have the same thing. I got to go in there and I got to fix everything that has gone wrong in my family today. So use these prayers because you are leading and you are guiding and you are growing. And God either is who he says that he is or he is a fraud. So let us ask him and let us make him show us who he is. So God is going to help us to accomplish these things. The heart of God is seen in the leadership of Jesus and in the vision of Jesus who came to seek and save that which is lost in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. And as a result of seeking and saving the lost, we have our marching orders. Is that we are to find people who need us to help show them who God is. And to be able to illustrate who who God is from the standpoint of his great love for them. Here's a quote about leadership that I found that was really good from Jerry Ragg. It says, leadership is the ability to impact, persuade, and convince others to follow a particular course and achieve named objectives. The influence may be reduced to two concepts. Listen to this. Living a life compelling enough to follow. And secondly, communicating a message compelling enough to hear. Those who need leadership will enjoy optimum benefits from leaders whose lives are models to follow and those whose profound insights transcend the ordinary. What God is doing is he's giving you a life to follow. He's giving you a life to follow. He's giving a life that he can put a spotlight on and say, do you want to see something amazing happen in your life? Then watch Peter, watch Vanna, watch Audrey, watch Austin, watch Alex. These are people in my family. Watch them and see how to live lives. See how I make a difference for people. And then listen to what they have to say. Because what they have to say is something that will be beneficial for you. So the ability to have influence on the lives of others demonstrates a life that is compelling to follow. That speaks a message compelling enough to hear. And is the model of a good shepherd. Psalm 95, 7 tells us that God is the shepherd of Israel, for he is our God and we are his sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Psalm 23, 1, which we'll get back to a little bit later, you know the beginning of this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And John chapter 10 is an entire chapter about Jesus being our shepherd. So we're going to unpack in just a few minutes what it means to be a shepherd leader. But as we do that, I want to talk positively about why we're sheep. You may have heard sermons about how dumb sheep are and how when they fall over, they can't get up and how they can't drink from water that is flowing and how they have no natural ability to stave off enemies. Well, here are some of the things that I want for you to think about, about Jesus as our shepherd and a little bit about sheep. Sheep will not drink from running water. Do you know that sheep have unique qualities and characteristics? I don't know about you, but you might have some unique qualities and characteristics yourself. There might be something about you that really makes you you, that is really important to you. You might like something that is really special. You might not like something. Uh, In my family, my wife loves to have noise when she sleeps at night. Anybody in here is a fan person who's got to have a fan on, either noise or not? Y'all are just really weird. You know, I, I, I like quiet, and I just pray, Lord, let me go to sleep with this fan on. My wife loves it. We have to take a fan wherever we go so she can sleep. Or at least I have to promise her that whatever place we're staying, I'll turn on the, the fan really, really loud so that she can sleep. She loves to be cradled to sleep with a little bit of white noise. She can't sleep so well without that. And that's really pretty common. That's one of those uniquenesses. What would it be like if I were a husband that made fun of that on a regular basis? Ladies, how would you, what do you think my wife would think about that? You could just say something right now like, you're a jerk. 
part of, hear me well, part of being a shepherd leader is letting people be unique. Letting people have their idiosyncrasies. Letting people be night people or morning people. Letting people organize their life in a certain way. Doing things differently than you. You see, sheep have unique qualities. Second, sheep cannot turn over by themselves. They need help. They fall down, they, they have a really hard time. They, they can't, like, they fall on their back. They, they can just, like, wiggle their legs, and then they're just really stuck there. They make a great meal for wolves. So when I thought about this, I thought, you know, you and I have really unique limitations. There are some things we don't do so well, and we really need some help. I don't know what your unique limitations are, but I feel like one of my unique limitations is I really struggle with being patient. I look more patient than what I really am because I have taken to heart the words of my grandmother. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And even a proverb says that a person who is foolish will seem smarter if he just keeps his mouth quiet. And so when I'm driving down the road, I'll be really quiet because I do have trouble sometimes with other drivers. When I'm standing in the shortest checkout line and it becomes the longest checkout line, I sometimes have trouble standing in that line with patience. And sometimes when I'm trying to talk to somebody and they're not getting it, I am, I'm impatient. Now, what's really fascinating to me is that God has determined that he is going to put me on some kind of a learning curve to learn patience because he gave me children. And one of my favorite researchers says it takes 500 reminders for a child to change his behavior. I think that is way underestimated. 500 reminders, way underestimated. Now, some children are auto-correctable, and they just sort of do it, and then other children have their ears broken, and they don't have the ability to connect ears and brain, and sometimes they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. For example, my son, Austin, who is now 26 and married, started chewing with his mouth closed after he had a fiancé. Why would he not close his mouth at 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23? Because his father was reminding him that he was chewing with his mouth open. And all his fiance had to say is, don't embarrass me again. 500 reminders, way too low. What are your limitations? What are the unique things that you need to deal with? You know, we have those. We have those, and we are to be gentle with each other. Sheep have no way to protect themselves from predators. And this is where protection comes through. You have children. Many of you have children. And then we have vulnerable adults. And it is really hard for people to protect themselves. It is our responsibility to protect others, to see danger coming, and then to make sure that they are safe. Sheep attach to the shepherd. They trust him and will follow him. And we are to attach to God, trust him through experiencing his care and follow him. You know that the scripture says that Jesus, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that I'll just call them and they will hear my voice and they will be able to come to me. And you know that when you're around somebody, you can hear their voice in some way. You see, we're an awful lot like sheep in a good sense, in a good sense. And we need a shepherd. So as we take a look at what it means to be a good shepherd, there are three main points that I want to give to you today that are at the heartbeat of good leadership that I want for you to be able to have for yourself. Number one is protection of the flock. Protection of the flock. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14, Moses wrote, The Lord your God moves about in the camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. 
God moves among us to protect us and to help us to be the kind of people that we need to be. And the reason that he moves among us is so that we would be holy, we'd be protected, and we would be his people. So one of the most important elements that you can do is to protect other people. And one of the best ways to protect them is to pray for them. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul wrote that Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer. Always wrestling in prayer for the, the saints that are at Colossians. Now, gentlemen, I want to say something directly to you. I've had a privilege of going around the country and speaking to a variety of people, mostly on family topics or leadership topics. And one of the most important statements that has been given to me has been given to me by ladies. And it is, I really want for my husbands to pray for me and with me. I really want that. And I want them to do it all on their own without me asking. I really want someone to pray for me. The church wants to be prayed for. People want to be prayed for. They want for people to just come up to them and say, let me ask God's blessing on you. It would be so cool to tell your story, and instead of somebody saying, I'll pray for you this week, actually pray for you. It is my hope and my goal that you will take one of the most important spiritual components of protection, which is praying, and you will start praying for each other. You'll pray for your families, you'll pray for people in the church, that you will then bring people together, and you will help for them to be able to know that you are going to take them to the throne of God, so that they will be protected right there. Thank you. Sweet. All right, now we're going to try this. Thank you for your patience and all the clicks. Oh, wow. I sound so much better. Okay. This word for wrestle means that we need to expend our energies. We need to spend time getting this done. We need to do this other than, we need to do this kind of activity instead of others. Um, We need to make sure that we remove obstacles to prayer. Now, I promise you that if you decide that you want to pray for somebody this week, there will be 45 things that will get in your way. There will be. Because you have an enemy. And that enemy wants to make sure that you do not pray. One of the most amazing leadership prayers that I've ever been a part of was a prayer that actually brought some healing to a young boy. A number of years ago, we were asked as an eldership at Christ Church of Ornogo to pray for a 12-year-old boy who had a tumor in his left arm, right, about his bicep area. And that tumor in his left arm was removing nutrients from his bone. And they said to him, if this tumor keeps growing and we can't stop it, we will have to amputate your arm at the shoulder. Imagine that news as a 12-year-old boy. The family came to us and said, we don't really know what's going on. We have a doctor's appointment on Monday, tomorrow. Uh, Would you please pray for us? And so we pulled that boy into um, into a room to pray for him. Uh, We anointed him with oil. We dipped our fingers in some oil. The oil represents the Holy Spirit and the work of God, which you can read about in James chapter 5. And we we put our hands on this boy. We prayed for him. And we prayed that God would do something amazing and bring healing into his arm. He went to see the doctor the very next day, and the doctor said to him, and I quote, I cannot explain this, but you have experienced spontaneous healing in your left arm. And the boy took his finger and he pointed it to his arm and he said, is it right there? And the doctor said, yes, how did you know? Get a load of this. When the elders were praying for me, 
I felt that part of my arm tingling. Now, it did not heal everything. But why would God do something like that and not remove the entire thing? Those, those are faith builders. I, I don't know what happened to the family. They, they were kind of traveling through. I don't know the end of the story. But what I can tell you is that one of the most amazing things that you can do for somebody else is to pray for them and to ask that God would do something for them that would be incredible. What if God would act according to his will like he says that he will? And he, you will ask him, and he will do something pretty incredible. Now, there are times that God does not heal us, which we don't always know why that happens. But as a praying elder, we ask him to do all kinds of amazing things. And I want to ask you to ask him to do amazing things. Protect your children. Uh, expose sin within your own family. Have you to be more holy. Protect you from evil so that evil doesn't pounce on you so much. Protect this church. But that you would do something that would allow for you to have the kind of protection that God would want for you to have. The second characteristic of a shepherd is provision for the ongoing well-being of the flock. The ongoing well-being of the flock. This is an assessment of needs and the movement of resources. In Psalm 78, 19, there's this question. Can God spread a table in the desert? Now, I just want to take you back there to the Exodus. If you're familiar with that, you know that the nation of Israel had delicious meals that were exactly the same every day. You remember what that deliciousness was? Manna and quail. Manna and quail. Can God give you provision in a desert? Psalm 105 verses 40 and 41 says, they asked and he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out like a river it flowed in the desert. Yes. And what what we're getting at here is spiritual sustenance more than physical, is that God will take care of you. And you probably have stories about your own desert experiences where you got knocked around or something happened to you and God came in and he protected you to help you to really grow. Can God take care of you? Yes. And because of that, we learn that it's very important to take care of other people so that those people would be well cared for. We learn that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And we learn that from these passages in Exodus. The third statement about being a shepherd leader, and the last one is guidance for the movement of the flock. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 13, tells us that God is going to move and protect us for our own guidance. So we are going to learn what right and wrong is, what best practices are, and how to move forward with God's agenda in an environment that is hostile to it. We're going to gently teach people rather than beautify an error. I like that statement. Gently teach people rather than make an error look good. He says this, In in your unfailing love you will lead the people that you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to to your holy dwelling. There are three elements of guidance that I want to give to you. The first one is gentleness. Well, one of the words that's used for leading is gentle, so that you would actually have this wonderful way by which you would know that people love and care for you. The second one is leading people forward, even against their will. And you know as a parent you have to do this. So you have gentleness in leading, and you have, we're going to go this way even if you don't want to. You know that little two-year-olds can be emotional terrorists. You do know that. I love two-year-olds. But you don't say, what do you want to do today 
with a two-year-old because they don't really know, and you have to direct them. And sometimes you have to tell them that they need to do something and they don't want to do it. We learn an awful lot about our own hearts by our own children. And so what we need to do is recognize that there will be times that you will tell somebody that they need to move in a certain direction, and they'll struggle with that. And what you do is you gently lead them in that struggle. And then we have personal guidance. God guided them with the pillars, the desert pillars. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And at night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And this talks about how a visionary leader guides a group toward its destiny. And that's where your leaders are this weekend. They're having a meeting to guide you to your destiny. A meeting that simply says, this is where the church needs to go. And I can tell you that you may feel like you're not quite ready for that destiny. I don't know what they're deciding. They didn't bother telling me, and they're trying to figure that out. But here's what I want you to know. I'd love for you to go back to these three areas of gentleness, of moving forward, even if you're not really sure, and guiding you to your destiny, and really ask for God to speak to them and then to speak to you. Because it's hard being a leader, right? Can I get an amen on that? For those of you that have led, it's hard to be a leader. It's hard to take a group of people forward. It's hard to come back and create collaboration. Preparing your hearts to be led is something that's really, really important so that you can actually move forward. John chapter 10 is our model of Jesus' leadership, which we're not going to spend an awful lot of time in this. But I want to just pull out from John chapter 10 that our leaders need to know our sheep. So let me, let me bring this to a conclusion for you. And I want to give you something for your head to think about. And I want to take you to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Not only are the elders and ministers to lead in these ways of provision and protection and guidance, but Psalm 23 is a part of how they lead also. And this is a little bit about how you lead. So some of these will be, you can maybe say some of this in your own mind, but I want to give to you some very specific um, suggestions. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I too will care for others and help take care of their needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He gives me rest and he refreshes me. I'm a person of peace who invites others into a relationship with me in which they can rest and feel taken care of. He leads me beside quiet waters. God knows my unique needs and provides the individual care that I need. I too know others and their uniqueness. I want to meet them where they are and give them support. He restores my soul. Being in a relationship with Jesus tends to my soul. He gives me courage and he gives me hope. I too care for others in such a way that they have the courage to go on with their lives and have the hope that they will get through the challenges that they face. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus shows me the way that I am to live my life and in living my life that way, it will glorify him. And I will show others how they can glorify him too. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are present with me in the most difficult times of my life. And you will use your resources to protect and care for me. I commit myself to be present in the lives of others in their most difficult times. They can count on me to care for them as I use my own resources to do so. I will protect and I will provide for, for others. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God, you will bless me and let others see that I am deeply loved and cared for. I will celebrate God's goodness and be joyful no matter what the circumstances of my life. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
You have set me apart for your purpose and blessed me so much. I will help others to connect with you and experience your blessings. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You will shower my life with what is good and what is right, and you will relate with me in mercy, especially when I stumble and I'm confused and make poor choices. You will still accept me, and you will bring me into your presence. I will do the same for others. I will give people what is good and right for them and be compassionate and mercy toward, merciful toward them. I will be open to them as they tell me their story. We have a daughter named Audrey. She's 28 years old right now. She has an amazing story of a person that we were able to be Psalm 23 with to provide leadership. Let me condense the story for you to just tell you this part. The lady that is involved in this story is somebody who grew up in a really troubled family. She was involved in same-sex attraction, and she became an enemy of our family because she fell in league with somebody who believed that we hate people because we're Christians. Maybe you've experienced something like that. This lady um, really struggled with math, and our daughter, Audrey, five years ago, I was in undergraduate school, and she was really good at math. And somehow, God, in his infinite mercy, put the two of them together in a tutoring relationship. And for a number of months, Audrey tutored this girl. I'm going to call her name Sarah. And then Audrey went off to graduate school. Sarah really hit the skids. You would all like her, really. She's just somebody who has a lot of pain in her life. Somebody who looks more scary than what she really is. You know some of those people? That they're all bluster. Well, Sarah tried to kill herself. And one of Sarah's friends called Audrey, who was in Baltimore at the time. Sarah was in Joplin. And she said, would you please talk to her? So from Baltimore, Audrey called this girl and said, I'm coming home in three weeks. How about if you come over to our house and you spend some time with us? Now, you need to remember who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who hate her. We're supposed to be people who are her enemy because she's living a lifestyle and she has... Um, pain in her life and she has decided that all Christians should hate her and here the people that are supposed to hate her have invited her into their home so in three weeks Sarah showed up at our door and she stayed the entire time that Audrey was with us she slept on our couch she ate at our table she held our hands she let me pray for her she participated in Christmas with us in some way and um, she sort of got absorbed in the amoeba that is the Buckland family (laughs) Every time that Audrey came home, she would come back and she would spend time with us because Audrey would just kind of go back and forth. After about a year, my wife got a letter from her and said, I just want you to know how important your family is to me. When I came to you, I was in really rough shape. And I want you to know that because of your kindness, because of your mercy, because of the way that you have taken care of us, you saved my life. You saved my life. Because I did not want to live. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the way we live our lives. We have been pastored this way. We've been led this way. And we turn around and we lead others. And she said, you saved my life. And I want you to know that. About six months later, she wrote a little note to Audrey and said, I was with one of those guys that was bashing your family who lives this same alternative lifestyle. And he was telling me how much you all hate people like this. And I looked at him and said, you can't say that about the Bucklands because it's not true. I have been in their house and I've sat at their table and they have taken me in. They love people. And I thought, we have won somebody. Psalm 23 wins people. Being a shepherd leader wins people. 
It is not that we're going to just roll over and say, yeah, let's just do whatever. But when you love people, you're going to make a really big difference for them. She continues in our life. She is still struggling. But I want you to know that Psalm 23 is true and it is good and it is right. What about your heart? Your heart needs to be gentle toward people. You need to set your minds to lead in the correct way. I want to close the same way that I started. Is that you would lead by loving. And that you would love others and treat them better than they deserve. You would treat people better than they deserve. And what would your hands do? A shepherd leader is busy protecting and nurturing and guiding. Wrestling in prayer. Assessing needs. Providing support. And being practical in their ways. So it's time for you to decide what you want to do as a leader yourself, because you're leading somebody. Somebody's watching you. And as you listen to this and, and see the big picture, I want you to take one thing from this. And here are the things that I took initially. Be gentle with people. Be gentle, because they have unique needs and perspectives. Treat them better than they deserve to be treated. And pray for them. Pray for them. Be gentle. Treat them better than what they deserve. And be gentle with them. And please pray for your leaders because they need it as they step forward and try to be this kind of a leader for you.